Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm joined on the podcast today by Alexander Darwin, author of the new novel, The Combat Codes. Writer Fonda Lee, author of Jade City, wrote about the novel. A brutal and relentless science fantasy martial arts extravaganza set in a world where the fate of nations rests on the perfect counterpunch or rear naked choke. The Combat Codes is that rare book that fully satisfies me as an action fan. Alexander, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your novel, The Combat Codes, how would you describe the novel? You know what? I'm so happy that I got that blurb from Fonda because I think it does a fantastic (laughs) job in describing the novel. And I oftentimes... When people ask me what my novel's about, I, I recite that blurb um, by by heart. Uh, <laughs> so without that tool at my disposal, I'll give it my best shot. But um, the, the Combat Codes takes place, It's uh, I would consider it science fantasy, as Fonda did. Um, it takes place in a world where uh, wars between nations have been replaced with single combat between champions. Um, which is a concept that, you know, you've, you've seen throughout history to some extent, but this is taken really to the next level, um, where, um, the entire political system, the caste system, um, diplomacy are all based on, at the hands rather of these, these champion fighters. Um, and, uh, that's, that's kind of where the seed of the novel came from. And it follows, um, two primary POVs. One is an old grizzled, ex uh champion and we call them in the book grivar knights so he's retired and he's kind of disillusioned with the system and the reason he fought in the first place and he comes upon a a teenage boy uh with a mysterious past and um they they follow a very um a very one of my favorite tropes which is the lone wolf and cub trope um which you'll find in books like the man or rather shows like the mandalorian or The Last of Us, where there's kind of an older mentor character who takes a younger character under his wing. Do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing the novel? Yeah, I, I certainly do. And I've heard from other authors that most uh, novels seem to come from three different seeds, one being world building, one being character and one being narrative uh, as far as the original seed. And mine certainly comes from the world building of wanting to create a world, uh, you know, I'm a fan of swords and sorcery. I'm a fan of you know D and played played all that stuff. Read, you know, that's that's the genre I write in. That's the books I read. But I wanted to create a world where instead of you know swords and weaponry, uh, martial arts was at the forefront. And so that impetus, that that seed of that idea, kind of uh, was led to the creation of of this world. And again, the political system. Um, the way that diplomacy works is all revolving around unarmed combat. Well, I know that you yourself train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Did your training inform the novel? Um, Certainly. Uh, I think um, any author that has an expertise in any subject, whether it be a science or a martial art or some, you know, engineering, it, it will add a level of authenticity um, that that is it, that readers can feel through the descriptions. I think it can be also uh, it can get in an author's way where you can end up you know end up 
over describing things because you're so passionate about it. And so it really finding the balance of, of um, including my passion for martial arts while at the same time, not losing readers who are not martial artists was, was my goal. Well, the combat codes was originally self-published and was included in the annual self-published fantasy blog off a contest that is organized by the writer, Mark Lawrence every year. What was your experience with that contest? Oh, wow. I mean, I, I owe so much to that contest because that's really what led a lot more eyes to getting on the combat codes. It made the book made it into the finals, but I, I did kind of submit it on a whim. Um, I had previously, as you said, self-published the book and and was moving on to other things and thought, hey, I'd, I'd submit it to this, the, what they call SPFBO. I know some people call it SPFBO, but I just <laughs> I just spell out the abbreviation um, SPFBO. And uh, it's it's surprisingly made it through to the semifinals. And then, you know, of 300 books, they get judged by several judging blog teams. And um, then it made it through to the final 10, which really got a lot of eyes on it. It was some... Uh, there was some controversy over my book in particular, and because it's a fantasy publishing, self-indie publishing contest, but the debate between a lot of judges was, is the combat codes fantasy or is it sci-fi? And I, I was fine with that debate. I think it was a very healthy debate. There were some um, judging teams that you know would, would give reviews such as, I really think this is a good book. It had a great narrative. I love the characters. But because it's not sci-fi, I mean, because it's not fantasy, rather, we're going to give it a, you know, whatever score, three out of 10, <laughs> which was a little frustrating. But end of the day, I'm going to defer to Fondly, and I think it's science fantasy. <laughs> gotcha. Well, how did the publishing deal with Orbit Books come about after the contest? Yeah. So, again, um, getting a ton of eye. This is I, I know Orbit has has acquired um, other self-published books, for example, um, Rage of Dragons by Evan Winter. Uh, I think he's been been on your show as well. He has twice. <laughs> um, yeah, a big big fan of Evan and his books. Um, that was not in the SPFBO, but there were some previous books in SPFBO, um, such as uh, Jos Josiah Bancroft series, um, and uh, also um, the Wolf of Oren Yarrow was another, I, I believe, that was self pub that that was acquired, and so yeah, Orbit has. Um, some of their edit acquiring editors um, definitely keep their eyes on the contest. And surprisingly, an, the another finalist and the eventual winner of that year, because my book did not win that year of SPFBO, um, Justin Lee Anderson's The Lost War was also acquired by Orbit. So it's really been cool that um, <laughs> we not only were in the same stable of finalists for that the year of 2020, SPF, SPFBO 6, but we were also debut Orbit authors in the same year, which has been great because we've been, you know, I got to meet him on tour in London recently. And um, it, it's helped that we can, you know, talk about our experiences to each other. And so what was your experience working with an editor mm -hmm. at Orbit on kind of re-editing, revising the novel after self-publishing it? And just so, you know, we're clear for people listening as you said, as you said, it was originally self-published. It was in the self-published fantasy blog off. Then Orbit made a deal um, to acquire the book and it's no longer self-published. So can you tell us about the editing process of a book that you had already <laughs> released? Yeah. So um, just to be clear, um, 
when nowadays, especially given how many books are self-published and how much material is out there to really be have any level of success with self-publishing, you have to essentially run a small business. That's that's what I always tell people. And I, it's a changing game. So I'm not the foremost ex- expert on self-publishing by any means, but I think it still remains the fact that you need to really be running a business, hiring not only cover designers, but also editors. And so with the self-pub version, I already did have a pretty good um, copy editor um, who had come from Trad Publishing and did a fantastic job. But even even despite that fact, um, when we went, we got acquired by Orbit, the developmental editing, um, you know, they they gave me a, a editorial letter, which is very standard, whether it's a self-published, um, previously self-published book or a manuscript, I think they treat it in a the same way, where they're essentially looking at it with fresh new eyes. And so the editorial letter had a, a ton of fantastic um, suggestions. And one of the things that really surprised me is, you know, one of the fears of many authors when they're thinking of selling their book to a, a big, big publisher is that they'll, they'll have them cut a lot of it. And they'll say, no, cut this, cut that, cut this. And, but surprisingly, um, the editors at Orbit wanted to add a significant <laughs> amount to the book, which really made my day because they, they essentially wanted to add about 25% more. The, the book was, you know, just under 100,000 words. And so they wanted to add about 25,000 um, of world building, extending some of the storylines, one of the main um, characters, they wanted to see a lot more of him. And in addition to that, um, in their line edits, they were able to, um, you know, catch a lot of things that were uh, with a world building. I'm a, I'm a very, um, I'm a discovery writer, a pantser, a gardener, whatever terminology you'd like to take on. But um, that, you know, one of my strengths is not, you know, keeping um, very like geographical locations that I'm creating, keeping them in exact, you know, position uh, spatially. That sort of thing. And so I found working with Orbit's team, now we're working actually, we just got through copy edits of the second book in the series. Some of the things that they catch um, are just incredible. Like, you know, <laughs> I I have the character, I think one of the edits was like, I had the characters traveling a certain direction past various geographical landmarks, moving from one border of one nation to another. And the sun was setting in one direction. And they were just like, well, actually, if the sun is setting in that direction and they're traveling east, then this <laughs> this nation needs to be positioned. And it's that sort of thing that I'm just like amazed in awe of. And beyond that, you know, the, beyond the like line edits and copy edits, the actual um, developmental edits done by my editor, Bradley, um, are, are, you know, just, again, provide fresh eyes and fresh perspective on um, the character development and the narrative itself. Well, what was your writing journey that led you up to writing the combat codes? Did you write short stories or any trunk novels before you wrote the combat codes? Yeah, so I, as as is the story for many um, novelists, I had a lot of unfinished manuscripts that are, were just um, kind of put aside. And and part of the reason they were put aside was I had primarily until the combat codes written for myself. Um, it wasn't really something that I had seen as even a what we would call like a gig, or you know, uh, it was more just a hobby for myself. And it wasn't until I realized that you know. Amazon KDP had the tools that were very easy to use to self-publish that I said, hey, you know what? I didn't even know this is possible. Let's let's go for it. 
Um, at that point, which is really weird, I didn't even know anything about traditional publishing. I didn't know about submitting manuscripts to agents or or agents submitting, uh, you know, uh, manuscripts to editors. I didn't know about any of that process. I just saw the self-pub part and said, oh, wow, this is cool. Let's give it a go. <laughs> I want to kind of learn these tools. And yeah, so it was kind of a, ba- a little bit of a backwards uh, process that I, I came upon that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I noticed on your bio on your website that it mentioned a Rolling Stone article that you wrote about the late chef and celebrity Anthony Bourdain. In terms of, you know, before you self-publish, are you are you a full-time nonfiction writer? Do you have another day job gig? What's that? Yeah, like so for you? I, I do run a small marketing business as my primary mode of income to support my family, as as I'm sure many of the other authors have that have come on, whether self-pub or traditional, um, authors do not get paid what many people think, you know, even the the names that have told me they're still working full-time jobs and ones that I've been like, wow, you are a very well-established author have really blown my mind. Um, but yeah, with the, with the Rolling Stone piece that actually came out, uh, I think right around the time when combat codes was acquired by orbit, I believe it was, the same year. And it was just by chance I'd written, um, again, not as a, even a job or gig, but I had written some, you know, martial arts related pieces for very niche, um, niche, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and martial arts, um, you know, online magazines. And so, uh, it was just fortuitous, um, that I had, uh, with, with a story with the the Anthony Bourdain articles, I had frequented a Reddit, um, a subreddit, what's called a subreddit, which is a specific forum on Reddit related to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And you know, one day I was I, I was pretty I was a regular there. You know, this is what people do: they talk about you know the sport and the various things that revolve around the sport. And one day I noticed um, one of the the people that had posted on the Reddit had a very distinct writing style. And it was so distinct, you know, it was just a post about this guy who was 58 years old and he was talking about starting jujitsu and how hard it was and how he felt like a, I think he described it as a stale box of Triscuits getting smashed every day. Um, And I was just like, something clicked in my brain and said, okay, either this is like a incredible imposter who has taken the time to, because I had been a, a, a really massive Anthony Bourdain fan, read a lot of his works obviously watched all his shows. He was, you know, he is one of my heroes. Um, one of the reasons I enjoyed writing and traveling in the first place, I saw that and said, this is Anthony Bourdain on this forum under an anonymous name. His name was New York city, uh, spelled, you know, almost phonetically as one would say it with a New York accent. And I started following this just on the back, on the lowdown, just following this anonymous user as he would post more and more over the years on, on Reddit. And I, I started to, you know, I started to put two and two together and see that it actually was him because he, the, the, 
you know, the what he was saying was coinciding with where the real Anthony Bourdain was traveling. Sure. And again, so um, and then unfortunately, you know, uh, of course, Anthony Bourdain tragically, uh, you know, passed away. And so this was a great opportunity to shed light on the, some of these um, unpublished anonymous writings of of his and i uh, was able to uh, collaborate with rolling stone and put that out there so i was it was it was really cool to be able to do that especially uh, related to one of my heroes that's interesting i'm a huge reddit user but i haven't discovered anthony bourdain on this. yeah it was it was pretty amazing <laughs> <laughs> what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels yeah um Writing advice. One thing I've learned is to trust your subconscious. And I know that sounds kind of uh, not spiritual, but a little bit, you know, how, how can you take that advice and actually apply it? And I, the thing that I always keep in mind is that, especially for drafting, there's a, a part of your brain that is getting activated that is not the the thinking part of your brain because oftentimes for me at least when i'm thinking too hard about drafting is where it re i really end up you know getting quote unquote writer's block or or hitting hitting a, a barrier that i need to really you know stop stop my my flow and so i think trust in your subconscious and that what often that means especially for me being more of a pantser discovery writer gardener is um just just keep going just keep going even if even if what you're writing you don't think is good don't think about someone reading this don't think about what your friend or what your your mom or your girlfriend would say when they're reading it just write it get it out there and then trust also in your editing process which is not subconscious that's like then that's where you're bringing in like the the conscious part of your brain to to pick it apart and to make it you know, make sense as a narrative, make the characters arcs work. So are you working on the third novel in the series now? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm starting because we're adding, you know, again, 25%, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of word count to each book. Um, I'm, it's not just editing for, I'm, I'm really drafting a lot. And the third novel we're aiming to have out, uh, the, the second novel is already pretty much in the can and, and should be out December. Uh, this year and the third novel we're aiming for summer around this time, 2024. And have you started thinking about your next series beyond that or next novel? Yeah, I've, uh, you know, uh, I missed as because publishing is very fairly slow. I missed the acquisition process of combat codes. I've, I've written a few things. I've written a screenplay. I've written um, a, a draft or two of various other ideas. And I, I do find if I set these things down for about a year and come back at them with fresh eyes, I'll, I'll have an immediate reaction whether I want to maybe try to rework it or just scrap it. And so I'm planning on, on coming back to these drafts and seeing if they have anything that's worth, again, um, bringing into draft number two and the editing process. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Let's see. I recently read uh, a novel of a friend of mine named Nick Binge, and he wrote Ascension, which was a really fun sci-fi thriller. It's about a mountain that's larger than Mount Everest, the largest mountain that's ever been recorded or seen, suddenly appears in the middle of the ocean 
and we follow a, a kind of uh, a scientist, uh, uh, and and he's he's kind of he's pulled into an adventure of of accessing this mountain and kind of discovering its mysteries and it ties to to his past and it, it's it's quite a good book. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novel, The Combat Codes? Yeah. So uh, as far as social media goes, all of my handles are just combat codes. So Twitter at combat codes, Instagram at combat codes, Facebook. Uh, I'm not on as much, but it's it's combat codes as well. Uh, TikTok, I've been trying, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been trying very hard, probably too hard, but uh, combat codes. It's all just combat codes. <laughs> Great. Well, again, we've been speaking to Alexander Darwin, author of the new novel, The Combat Codes. The novel is out now, so go buy a copy. And Alexander, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. I'm nothing like Thalu, Murray growled, his shoulders tensing. Calson shrank back, as if suddenly aware of how large Murray was beside him. No, no, of course not, friend. You two are completely different. Thalu's like every other circle slaver trying to make a bit, and you're a, or used to be, a griever knight. His voice trailed off. The glowing spectral wisps returned to the circle like flies gathering on a fresh kill. They landed on the cold Arlite steel ring and balled up again in a floating cluster above. As more of the wisps arrived, the light shining on the circle grew brighter. Fresh biometrics flashed onto the feed. It was time for the next fight. And Murray needed another ale. Murray drew the cowl of his cloak over his head as he exited Thalu's den, stepping directly into the clamor of Mark Sparrow. Stores, bars, and inns lined the street, with smaller carts selling acrid-scented foods on the cobbles out front. Gaudily-dressed hawkers peddled their wares, yapping like bayhounds in a variety of tongues. Buyers jostled past him as ragged, soot-faced children darted underfoot. Much had changed since Murray had first returned to the underground. Two decades ago, he'd proudly walked Mark Sparrow with an entourage of trainers in tow. He'd been met with cheers, claps on the back, the awed eyes of Deep Brood looking up at him. He'd been proud to represent the Grivar from below. Now, Murray made a habit of staying off the main thoroughfares. He came to the deep alone and quietly. He doubted anyone would recognize him after all these years, with his overgrown beard and sagging stomach. A man in a nearby stall shrieked at Murray. Top shelf protein, tested for the Sumerian shade, vat grown in Azo Central plant, Certified for real taste by the Growers Guild. The small, bald hawker held up a case with a mess of labels stamped across it. Compared to the wiry hawker, Murray was large. Though his gut had expanded over the past decade, and his ruffled beard was now gray-streaked, he posed a formidable presence. From beneath the cut-off sleeves of his cloak, his knotted forearms and calloused hands hung like twin cudgels. Flux tattoos crisscrossed the length of Murray's arms, from elbows to fingertips, shifting their pigmented curves as he clenched his fists. His sharp nose twisted at the center, many times broken. 
and his ears swelled like fat toads. His face was overcast, with two alarmingly bright yellow eyes penetrating from beneath his brow.